0: Clough got me into his office and he said, I want you to move up onto the wing. What do you think about that? And I sort of said to him, well, I don't, mate. I don't think about playing on the wing. And I was pretty worried. I remember shaking hands with Dave Mundy. I didn't really know much about him at the time. He was only a young player and we basically didn't see each other for the rest of the day. So I thought, how long's this been going on? The wing, it's a wing? I did a lot of work on my hands after training, before training. It came naturally to me. It did, but I still worked at it, you know, to get better. Look at these guys now and they're 200 centimetres, but they're so athletic. That is a, a really key trait that you need to be a key position player. He was sort of the first guy that I worked with one-on-one and he would have me kicking up and down the line of the square. We would just kick to each other up and down the line to just try and straighten out my kicking. You can't have any fractions here, there, you know, you've got to have everyone in your club in line. I actually did go and seek out some advice from, from a leadership uh, expert I said, look, I want to change. A lot of perception about me i did miss some easy shots of goal. there's no doubt about that bernie quinlan right he went at 58 and his nickname was Superboot. i went at 59 i'm the worst kick of all time <laughs> get to as many contests as i can i'm going to take more marks don't get out mark bring it to ground and the rest sort of will take care of itself
1: and that was this week's guest matthew richardson welcome to the one-on-one football podcast my name's andrew rains and as always i joined by my co-host harry Simmington. harry welcome
2: Thanks, Randy. Ripping episode we've just uh, recorded with Richo. That was a uh, one of the uh, one of the one of the most exciting, I think. Especially if you're if you're a forward, we've got a a great episode coming up. It's um yeah, it's always good to get back on the podcast and um bring some more content out. But uh, Randy, for the, the episode um with Richo, what can listeners for, uh, look forward to? Well, just I, I thought he was just
1: incredible. Um, the way, obviously, he gave up his time. He's, he's a busy man. A good mate of mine. He's has been um, for for quite some time since he got to Richmond. Took me under his wing. So he actually got me on um, his podcast um, a while ago. Uh, sorry, a week or two ago on um, on the Richmond podcast. Um, so head over to the Richmond website to check that one out but um, yeah just incredible Richo um, in the way he presents um, each time you sort of speak to him in the media and then obviously in this podcast and he spoke about just um, his time as a superstar Tiger obviously a big club and we obviously uh, both played there when it was the times were sort of struggling a fair bit but then how it sort of changed over that journey and he wasn't directly involved as a player when it changed but um, you know sort of seeing he's still involved obviously with the club and in the media and things like and how he's sort of seen it evolve and, and the leadership under that um, the pressure of, uh, of his goal kicking and he gets a, a lot of people asked how many points he kicked and we actually delve into his uh, his his ratio and his kicking percentage actually up there with some of the, the great goal kickers of all time which he is one of them Um, managing his injury in 95 he did his his ACL and and coming back from that and expectations that come with uh, being a young sort of superstar playing and then going down with injury Um, and then he's changing to the wing role in 2008 he went up the ground and Probably not to his uh his choice, but um came around and, and uh, as we all know came around up in a brown Brownlow, and then just playing to his to his strengths. So we we talk a lot about his key forward craft and what it takes to be a really good key forward, but um he also yeah mentioned some of those strengths of being a key forward and focusing on those, and 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 um, he's got a couple that he really focused on. Um, and then we've got a, an awesome bonus um, episode there with uh, where we do a, a live video with him, um and and we pick out. Um, a St Kilda player, uh, Max King, um, and his, his forward-leading patterns and his craft and his contestant marking, Richo, gives an incredible insight um, to our you know footy IQ. We talk about our footy IQ members and, and developing our footy IQ, and, and there's some incredible insights there to be able to play that forward, key forward role. So without further ado, this is episode number 22 with Matthew Richardson.
2: You're listening to the One-on-One Football Podcast, the number one podcast for Aussie Rules training, coaching, and development tips.
0: Richard, thanks for joining us, mate, and welcome to the show. Nah, great to be here and uh, good to see your familiar face and Brainsy, uh, who I played a lot of footy with, so great to be on.
1: Thanks, mate, and obviously I was on your podcast um, a couple of, a week ago, that was fantastic, and um, obviously it's good to see you a couple of times over over two weeks, mate, so it's um, yeah, great to have you on. I'll just go back um, into sort of, as you said, obviously our relationship and Coming through the Tigers, um, obviously 2003 that we spoke about the other day, 2003, end of 2003 is my first year and we had Spud and and the likes and uh, some plenty uh, plenty of great memories down there at Tigerland. Um, Just give us a bit of a a rundown, obviously, of your uh, your up-to-date sort of life these days, transitioning out of the great Tigerland into into the media world and and sort of what are you up to?
0: Yeah, obviously. Oh, I'm from Tasmania originally, for those who don't know. Came over to Victoria at the end of um, 1992 and played at the Tigers till 2009. And yeah, it was lucky enough when I finished playing footy to be offered some roles uh, in the media. I didn't know what I was doing at, at the start and I might, maybe still don't now, but yeah, I was very lucky. 3RW Radio um, employed me in 2010 as well as Channel 7 on the TV. And yeah, luckily enough, I'm still working for those two uh, organisations now. I'm really enjoying it. Um, very, very lucky to be involved in football still, calling the games. And I love the industry, do a bit of work for uh, the Richmond Footy Club still. Obviously, Rainsy, you came on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, which was fun. And yeah, um, do a little bit of work for Sportsbet as well. So yeah, that's sort of what I'm doing now. It's full time, uh, basically, in the football industry and really enjoying it still. And kids, mate? Yeah, got two uh, kids and got an- another one on the way. My wife uh, Genevieve's pregnant at the moment with an- another little one. So two little girls, uh, Riley and Zoe. Uh, Zoe is five in September, and-, and little Riley is two in June. So they're keeping me busy. When I'm not at the footy, I'm chasing them around, which uh, keeps you young. Yeah, for sure, very busy man. And um, you mentioned um, Tasmania growing up um,
2: down down south down south. Um, Mate, take us back to your childhood. When did you when did you first fall in love with uh, Aussie Rules football?
0: Yeah, probably uh, as as early as I can remember. I can actually vaguely remember the nineteen eighty Grand Final, which obviously Rainsy's dad, uh, the great Jeff Rains, uh, played in that Premiership. So I can vaguely remember that game. I was nearly five years of age, and obviously. Uh, my dad played for Richmond, um, played in a premiership in 1967. So I reckon it was around that time that I discovered footy. Um, and then I discovered, you know, that my dad had played for Richmond. I had no choice who I barracked for, but <laughs> Richmond were a power team in, in those uh, early 80s. And it was a pretty easy team to barrack for. So fell in love with the game, then started playing like most kids in, in sort of uh, the mini league in under 10s. And, um, you know, in Tasmania in those years, it was, you know... Basket, a bit of basketball cricket obviously in summer and footy in winter and they were your choices you know you didn't have all of the stuff that kids have now so you're outside playing sport if you weren't at school I would have been outside with a, a football or a basketball or a cricket bat in my hands so grew up in a place called Devonport and yeah um you know that was my childhood playing sport really and
1: you came over mate father son um similar to sort of the pathway of you and I sort of both took you know it was a bit different sort of back um, back in those days, though. So talk us through the father-son rule and then and then how you sort of made your way over. And then talk us through a couple of your sort of first memories of, of Punt Road.
0: Yeah, so, Rainsy, back then, the father and son rule, I, I was actually put on the yeah. list before the 1992 draft. You didn't even have to go through the draft process. The father-sons do now, you know. They have to mm. still go through the draft. So, look, I knew I was coming to Richmond before the draft. I actually came over and watched the 1992 grand final, Um, as a guest of the Richmond Footy Club and met my new coach um, John Northey who had just taken over um, at the time so met Swooper I was already over in Melbourne training when the draft happened so yeah came over at at the end of 1992 my first memories of walking in the door I actually um, came over on the boat I bought my car over on the boat I drove from uh, Port Melbourne where the spirit of Tasmania comes in, 1979 Commodore range. I was about to say, we spoke about the, car, the old
1: cars last week on, the, on your yeah. podcast,
0: so uh, the old, loaded, old Commodores. Loaded up to the hill, no uh, mobile phones or GPS then, so I had the old Melways. Remember the Melways you had to look in? Yeah. So I had to pull over and try and find my way to, to Punt Road, um, which took me about an hour. You know, I got lost a few times from Port Melbourne to Punt Road, but... I pulled in, actually, and the first uh, person I bumped into was Peter Schwab, who was the former Hawthorne champion, Schwabby, who was our reserves coach. And um, I remember he showed me around the joint. We didn't start training then until late in the afternoon. So, um, yeah, I went in, had a look around, and... Met a few of the lads and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. It was a pretty uh, pretty primitive sort of setup back then. They don't have the facilities they do now at Punt Road. You know, we trained underneath the old Jack Dyer stand. The gym was in there. The change rooms were in there. Um, and the Oval was in pretty ordinary nick at that mm-hmm. time. But, look, I didn't know any different, mate, coming from Tassie. Um, I couldn't wait to get stuck into it.
1: We probably could do a whole new another podcast on the... Uh the characters of Tigerland and the coaches and all that sort of stuff but you, clearly now you obviously see a difference where the club's sort of gone and it was it was always sort of and probably something that I was thinking last week when I was chatting to you guys it's, it was always sort of that powerhouse underneath and that sleeping giant but it often got and you would have experienced it too finishing ninth and then playing some finals yeah. and then not and then back down the bottom and a couple of wooden spoons and things like that it always sort of played in the minds that it, we we would come back and, and be successful, but it just yeah. took some time, didn't it? And what, what do you sort of bring that down to over the last sort of, obviously sort of 20,
0: 30 years? Yeah, look, as you said, Rainsy, we, we knew Richmond were a powerhouse. I mean, when your dad played, Richmond in 1980 were the first club to have a million supporters go through the gate mm. to watch them play in a season, in that great season that they had. So you always knew the support was there, and you knew mm. that if they could be successful again, that the supporters would come back. And we had a small taste of it. In '95. we played finals. Unfortunately, I was injured that year. But you saw it in that year, you know, when we made the finals, the, you know, the, the MCG was full and rocking. And then in 2001, under Danny Frawley, we made finals again. But we just couldn't sustain it. We could never do it sort of consistently. Look, I put it down to good leadership, mm-hmm. Rainsy. You get the right people involved. And, you know, at the end of 2010, uh, 2009, they appointed Damien Hardwick as coach. Um, a good young coach who'd been at successful clubs, obviously a premiership player at two clubs, and then was at Hawthorne as an assistant. Um, He came on board, Brendan Gale came on board, um, you know, and Gary March was the the president at the time. And, you know, he provided those two really good support. And you've got to have everyone in line in your organization. That's the thing that I think I've learned um, from Richmond in the last dozen years is, you can't have any fractions here there. You know, you've got to have everyone in your club in line. That's the you know, your players, your your support staff, your administration, your mm-hmm. board. You've all got to be on the same page. And if you're not, I don't think you have success. And I think they all got on the same page under Brendan Gale's leadership, had some good draft picks. Obviously they got guys like Rance in and Cochin in and Jack Rewald in and Dustin Martin in. So they got good players in, um, good coaching, good leadership and you know, they were able to do do the rest from there.
2: Yeah, for sure. And mate, something that really stood out in your game was your speed and athleticism, which is a rare trait for someone standing nearly 200 centimetres tall. How important do you think agility is for key forwards, especially in today's game?
0: Yeah, very important. Um, it's such a hard game to play now. So if, you've got, if you're robotic and you, you, you've got no tricks, it's a pretty hard game to play. So mm-hmm. I think you look at these guys now and they're 200 centimetres, but they're so athletic. Um, and I think that is a, a really key trait that you need to be a key position player. If, you, if you're just running in straight lines, if you haven't got any agility and, and movement in your game, it's a, it's a hard game to play with how well they defend the ground now. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I was playing in the forward line, you didn't have zoning defences. It was pretty much one-on-one. So if you had any sort of agility and ability, you're you able to break free from your man. Not easily, but it certainly helped. Whereas in today's game with zones, if you you haven't got any movement, then I think you're going to struggle, aren't you? Mm.
1: I I couldn't agree more, mate. It's sort of that thing too. I think um I think you were the first sort of I'm not for, like the first type of that prototype. It's sort of one ninety seven, Buddy's What's Buddy be around one ninety? Yeah, he's One, around that 198 size. Since, since sort of running for the listeners to uh, give you a bit of a, a... And I know he doesn't like talking about himself, a big fella, but he, he used
0: to be able to do the tan. i started and, talking about myself more as I've got older, though. you <laughs> oh, <that's, that's, laughs> got him, mate. you got to relive the memories. The big fella and, and,
1: and the tan. I don't know if in the northern states too many people know the tan, but... Botanical yep. Gardens, um the, the running track around there, it's about th- is it 3.8, 3.9? I think it's three point
0: eight six from with, memory. With yeah. a massive
1: hill. Um to give you some idea how he could run, he could obviously keep up with sort of midfielders and smaller bikes like myself and he was carrying sort of 20, 30 more kilos. But then even when you were younger though, mate, what's give us give the listeners for sort
0: of some times you sort of ran it in those sort of time trials. Yeah, look, the best time I ever run, Rangi, was thirteen oh one, and I remember being disappointed because I, I think as a footballer, anything in the twelves was pretty elite. You know, I, I think the best I saw at Richmond in my time was um, Daniel Jackson. He ran like a twelve thirty yeah, something, that. and that yeah. that was like off the it's charts, twelve thirty. Yeah. So yeah, thirteen oh one was my best time. Um, you know, for not many footballers ever went into the 11s. I think, I think Phil Carmen did. I think he's got the record as a footballer, but anything between 1230 and 1330 was considered a pretty elite time, uh, for a footballer because, you know, obviously we're carrying more weight. So Yeah. yeah, 1301 was my best and that's what I based my game on was, um, you know, ability to cover the ground and get to, to contests. And I think by being able to run 13.01 around the town, it certainly helped me on game day. Absolutely.
1: And and, and on that, mate, like we're obviously big in our company and our business and, and what we talk about here on the podcast is actually finding that sort of um if it's an old theory if you're doing exactly what everyone else is doing you're probably not going to make it Hmm. so on the topic of sort of seeking that expert advice or getting actually that one-on-one sort of um you know training whether it is at your club or your team or outside the club did you obviously naturally being a really good runner um you're strong lots of stuff um you obviously had some great footy iq and skills but did you, any of those sort of from a mental physical aspect, did you ever seek outside um, sort of experts and, and sort of go that sort of one-on-one approach?
0: Yeah, yeah, I did. I always had a, had mentors and, and people that I spoke to and, and, and trusted. And uh, when I was growing up at, at the Devonport Footy Club, I remember a guy called Lance Cox who actually played uh, for Richmond at, at one stage. I think he played about 50 games for the Tigers. He was he was sort of the first guy that I worked with one on one and I'd go down to the the footy club on a on an off night and Lance, you know, he was a busy man, but he would come down and, and just kick with me. Look, I wasn't the greatest kick and I had to work at it, you know, hard to to, to sort of get to the level. So Lance would would take me down and, and do kicking with me one-on-one, and he's the first guy that I, I probably did some one-on-one work with. And then even when I got to Richmond, the great Michael Roach, Disco. who you know well, yeah, Disco Roach, he would he would come down and, and do kicking with me as well. And one mm-hmm. thing uh, I remember him doing with me, I had trouble with my goal kicking over the journey, And Rochi would have me not even kicking at goal. He would have me kicking up and down the line of the square. We would just kick to each other up and down the line to just try and straighten out my kicking. So, yeah, they were a couple of guys that I did one-on-one training with um, over the journey. But I think as a player, you've got to work out you know, what your strengths are as well. you got to work on your deficiencies, but then you got to work out what you're good at. And I, I knew that I was a good athlete for my size. I had good running ability. So, you know, that, that came naturally to me. It did, but I still worked at it, you know, to get better. Um, and my marking, I, I, I felt like I was a good mark. So I did a lot of work on my hands, you know, just getting getting people kicking balls into my hands after training, before training. Uh, as a kid, I always, you know, had, had a footy in my hands. So... You've got to work on your deficiencies, but it's probably even more important to work on your strengths as well and make them even stronger.
2: Yeah, that, that's awesome. And, mate, back in 1995, you unfortunately tore your ACL and missed most of the season. But then you came back the following year, played all 22 games, kicked 91 goals, and became an All-Australian for the first time. Um, I'd love to know what your mindset was like during that injury. Um, and how did you get back to playing arguably the best footy of your career just one year after an ACL?
0: Yeah, I remember when it first happened, I was obviously pretty shattered um you know because we were having a good year I think we were I think we'd only lost one game when I did my knee in round nine we we're eight and eight and one after that game so I knew that we were probably going to play finals uh, I was young though so I, I got over it pretty quickly and my mindset then became you know you had a lot of people in the periphery saying oh they, you know this will Richardson's athleticism will be gone will he come back mm. will he be able to Will he be able to play the sort of footy he was beforehand? Will he be able to fulfill his potential? And that was the noise that you could hear. So my mindset was, I'm gonna prove all these people wrong. You know, I'm gonna I'm going to come back and I'm gonna be better than I was before. And I remember when I was doing my rehab through that whole period with the help of, you know, some good medicos and fitness people, they, they deserve a lot of credit, but my mindset was I'm gonna prove people wrong. So that really drove me through my rehab. The other thing, I had Tony Free, who was our captain of the Richmond Footy Club at the time. He did his ACL about five or six weeks before me. Mm. And Freeza was a mad trainer. You know, he was a really determined guy, Tony Free. So we were basically doing the rehab together and we sort of drove each other on, which I think helped as well.
1: And the rest is sort of history after that, mate. And your playing career sort of obviously went on to some huge accolades and and became a superstar of the competition. But I've heard you talk about before too, and this is good for our listeners, that... Not necessarily go through form science. I wouldn't say you went through form science, but there was people obviously, um, you know, I reckon you went through probably your middle part of your career there. It was probably just before I came down. there. When I reckon I went down, you That's went again right. to another level. Was there sort of that middle part of your career where you sort of had to change your mindset? There was that, you know, sort of... Outside noise and media talk yeah. around, sort of obviously your hype on the field and, and things like that, with with some carry on. But um, what yeah. what does so, sort of those things have to change? And what did you feel in that middle part of your career that you sort of had to sort of to sustain to where you got to 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 yeah. go again and up another level?
0: Yeah, you're right, Rains. It was just before you came down. I reckon 2002, 2003 were sort of years where I went backwards a little bit in my career. There was there was injuries and, and reasons why, but there was also an attitude. I probably Probably had a poor attitude at that time. I was getting injured. We weren't we sort of came off playing finals in two thousand and one and then the next year we dropped away again. So I was probably disappointed in how I was playing, how the team was playing. And I let it affect my mindset probably too much. I had a had an attitude out on the ground and you know, I probably didn't know it as much at the time, but in hindsight looking back at you know, I definitely affected how I was playing, my my attitude and my body language and, and things like that. So I actually did go and seek out some advice from from a leadership uh, expert. I did a one on one course with a, with a guy, and I went and sat down with him for six months, every Monday, and we just spent you know a couple of hours talking. And I he would just pepper me with questions about my growing up, and I didn't really know what he was doing, but he was sort of almost reprogramming me. And when I remember when the first meeting I had with this this gentleman, he said, "What do you want to get out of this?" And I said, "Look, I want to change a lot of perception about me, and I want to." I want to, by the end of my career, probably, you know, have how I'm, how I'm seen in the game to be different. And I think from that moment on, I think I harnessed that emotion and look, that energy that I had in my game, I think I harnessed it in a more positive way and probably played my most consistent footy from, from that time on, from 2004 till my retirement, probably didn't have the, quite the highs in my game, but I didn't have the lows either. I just became a more level, consistent player. Um, And yeah, it was important because I was 28, 29 at the time. Could have gone the other way. I could have really dropped away. So yeah, changing that mindset and and attitude and harnessing my emotion and energy in the right direction um, was good for me and probably good for my teammates around me. I probably had a better relationship with them as well.
2: Was that something you
0: you sought out yourself, the the leadership expert,
2: or was that through the club? Um, how, How did that all come about?
0: Probably probably myself in the end, but I did have conversations with people at the club and, you know, there was probably talk that Richmond at that time were perhaps looking to get get a trade um, and get me out of the place. Yeah. So I had some hard chats with the, the leaders at the club at the time and, um, you yeah, Kane Johnson was was someone that had, had done this course as well and sort of followed him a little bit. So, yeah, it was a combination of everything, really, myself and, and leaders at the club and, and just everyone knowing that something had to change.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And mate, in 2008, you famously made the move from key forward up to the wing, um, where you ended up averaging 11.1 marks, uh, made the All-Australian team again and finished third in the Brownlow. Whose idea was it to to move you up to the wing? Because it obviously paid off.
0: It was the coach, Terry Wallace. Yeah, the the player. (laughs) I remember walking into the club, and I've told this story a lot. It was after round three. I played full forward for the first two or three games, and wasn't playing that well, and I'd, I'd lost a bit of pace as well. I was 34 years of age, and I just couldn't get that, that metre on my opponent inside 50. So I was really struggling to, to win the footy inside 50. And Jack Rewalt was at the club, I think. Was he in his second year, probably? Yeah, I reckon then? he was second yeah. year. Yeah, Second year. I walked into the club after round three, and Plough got me into his office, and he said, look, mate, we've got to make some changes. We've got Jack at the club now. Um, we think he's going to be a good player, and you know we're going to you too much inside fifty, and Jack's probably starving a bit in there. So I want you to move up onto the wing. What do you think about that? And I sort of said to him, "Well, I don't, mate. I don't think <laughs> about playing on the wing." And I was pretty worried, um, but the option he was pretty blunt about it. Plow, he said, "If you, mate, if you don't ha- if you don't take this on board and you don't you know look at this role and and take it with you know both hands, then you probably won't be playing. You probably end up at Coburg." So that was the option, and uh, we played Frio that week over at Subiaco and I moved up onto the wing and yeah for whatever reason it, it was a good a good move you know I had a little bit more space and time um, I still had good running ability it didn't quite have the pace so the wing was probably a good role for me at the time just getting back inside 50 defensive 50 and then pushing forward at times as well so um, it really worked for me and it probably helped Jack as well Rainsy didn't it? at the time he probably got the 50 a little bit more to himself and developed a little bit quicker.
1: Absolutely I think I remember that sort of stage and we're sort of I think we lost the first two games. I actually did uh, my patella in round, right. that round two against North, and we got smacked. Yeah. And then you guys went over to to uh, to Frio and, and had that famous sort of win. It was a huge win at the time too, I reckon. It was, and I remember yeah. watching you obviously play playing the wing, and and then Jack's game obviously just grew from there. Which I think um, sometimes you sort of take those sacrifices, and it, all, yeah.
0: it was a win-win, I,
1: I suppose, in the end. And yeah, it yeah. was. Um, um, I
0: remember that. I remember that day. I remember I played on David Mundy, who's. He's still playing, isn't he? He's a star of the game. And I remember shaking hands with Dave Mundy. I didn't really know much about him at the time. He was only a young player, and we basically didn't see each other for the rest of the day. So I thought, how long's this been going on? The wing. How good's a wing? Yeah, a bit of space. Well, if you can so. play
1: it right, it can be a really good position. Some of our junior listeners would, would um, you know, sort of, we get some feedback sometimes and, and when we're coaching these kids that they do struggle the wing roll a bit. But if you can. As you said, if you can sit behind the footy a bit and then go mm. from there, and then you can hit the scoreboard too. So you just mm. play up and down, up and down, which is um, which is what you're able to do. But um, And you're still able to sneak forward and, and kick some goals, which is great. I, I want to touch on the goal-kicking topic. and yeah. I used to – couldn't imagine how much it frustrated you, but we used to go to – to give the listeners some, a bit of a background, we used to go to clinics um, with Richo, and he would get always asked the same stupid questions from the same old Nuffies, and they would say, you know um, – you know what's wrong with your goal kicking or how many sort of um, how many goals you kicked or whatever and, and Rich used to sort of come back and, and there was some s- stuff where he just sort of played the straight back but I remember it was like how many goals you kicked and and, and he'd ask the question they'd sort of say oh how many behinds has you kicked and mm. I remember looking at your ratio and you, you always said that your, your kicking ratio was, was pretty good and you did kick 800 more than probably those people asking the question so um, talk us through a bit of that sort of enigma or the sort of the yeah. the, the talk around your sort of goal kicking
0: yeah, it was always a topic and it still follows me now, Rainsy. whenever mm-hmm. I go and do a function, you know, people normally, you know, you get introduced yeah. and the, the MC or whatever, they always mention your numbers and whatever, and there's always someone in the crowd, oh, how many points they? we, <laughs> so it's, it's become a bit of a, I, look, I have fun with it yeah, now. Yeah, you got a point um, with it. You do, did, but I'm not, I'm not going to lie, it did affect me through my career, yeah, you well, and I did I did miss some easy shots at goal. there's no doubt about that. Um, but my actual percentage of you know my ratio wasn't that bad. I mean, most players sit between, if you look at the top goal kickers in the history of the game, most people sit between about sixty and seventy percent. Mm-hmm. Tony Lockett was at seventy, and then I was 50, I was actually fifty nine. So most of the top goal kickers sit in between there, you know, a lot of them around sixty four, sixty five percent. So I was a little bit below the, the guns, but I wasn't hopeless. But what I think probably, hurt me in the perception of my goal kicking was I did miss some mm. real sitters, you know, some 10 metres out, you know. But then I might kick the next three or four. Yeah. But people just remember those real howlers. So... That probably tainted me a little bit. Yeah, I always have a joke about it, though. Bernie Quinlan, what was his nickname, Rainsy? The Superboot. Superboot. Bernie Quinlan, right? He went at 58%. And his nickname was Superboot. <laughs> Superboot, there you go. I went at 59%. i am the worst kick of all time. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I, I know
1: how you feel, and it's a perception, too. I mean, my my field King got sort of... Uh, for a couple of years, there, it got absolutely sort of smashed too, and and you and then you go in your head a bit. It starts getting you in your head a bit, and you and you sort yeah. of thinking you just got to go back to. So sort of our listeners out there, if you are struggling with goal kicking or field kicking, out it it's getting in your head, and people are talking about it. Just just go back to the basics and mm. try and block out that noise. It's, it is hard to block out, but um, to, staying on the sort of that key key forward goal kicking sort of um subject now, mate. What's what's some of the key attributes I obviously play with great forwards like yourself and and Jonathan. Brown and Fed for a year or two there at Brisbane, but they often... Brownie he always used to talk about some of the key aspects of a forward. Um, yeah. Mentally is a huge thing too. So obviously the physical attributes, which I think you spoke about, yeah. but he always said you sort of got to have... And and there, there, are, there are sort of um, personality traits in forwards and defenders and the why they sort of go about. So the forwards are going to... They want the footy in their hands. They've got to have a bit of that sort of extroverted... Yeah. Um, and a tiny bit of sort of arrogance bordering on sort of overconfidence. Would yeah. would you agree, agree with those sort of that. quotes? And, and what are the, some of the, the sort of the makeup up for, for a key forward, those young listeners that are looking forward to sort of playing that role?
0: Yeah, look, I guess you, you do have to have that bit of X factor and a bit of ego and enigma about you to be a, a good forward, I, I think. Um, look, I, look, I always base my game on, on work rate and contest mm-hmm. you know the i knew that i if I, the more contests i got to you know the more marks i would take the more shots at goal i would have or the more ability i would have to give it off to someone else in a better position so it was pretty simple for me that my work rate get to as many contests as i could and if i couldn't mark the ball don't be outmarked and that that was probably how i rated my game mm-hmm. and if i if i didn't let it if i started thinking about goals That probably didn't happen. So I took it right back, simplified it right back to to that. Get to as many contests as I can. I'm going to take more marks. Don't get out marked. Bring it to ground, and the rest sort of will take care of itself. And they were sort of the the key aspects I took into each game.
1: Fantastic. And it sounds like you'd you'd make not a bad coach, mate. Have you ever thought about about coaching or specialised coaching? I mean, have you been hit up by the Tigers before? Is that something you sort of... That you have sort of thought about um, finishing footy. Obviously, you got a great sort of gig now, but the things too. I know we've caught up a few times. You sort of you said you do yeah. miss things uh, that being in the media, that versus sort of the the sort of club day to day stuff. Is there yeah. that aspect of sometimes you think, oh, shit, yeah, I sort of wouldn't mind doing a bit of coaching or sort of leadership stuff?
0: Yeah, look, I think what I'm not actually being a coach, Tracy, but I do enjoy talking to, to young guys about their footy. And over the years, I've spoken to. To players that have seeked out a little bit of advice and I do enjoy having a look at their game and and being a sounding board for them and and being a bit of a, I guess, a one-on-one sort of mentor. I do enjoy that and it's something I'd like to keep doing in the future with with young players, talking to them about their game. Um, It doesn't have to be AFL. I mean, a former teammate of mine, David Burke, I've... He's got a young son who sought me out a little while ago and just wanted to talk about footy. So I do enjoy that sort of thing, just talking to young players about their game and being more of a mentor, I guess.
1: Uh, it's amazing. I think any young kid out there would uh, would jump at the opportunity, and, and it's yeah, it gives you sort of that feel, that kickback feeling that obviously when you're a young player, if a sort of a yeah. an older sort of mentor and established player like yourself would um, giving some feedback, I'm sure that sure would they'd listen, which is um, which yeah. is which is brilliant.
0: But I think, it, you know, a young player, if someone shows a bit of interest in you, I mean, it, it, it does make you feel good about what you're doing. So, yeah, I do enjoy doing that. All right. And that brings us to the end of
2: the main episode, guys. But don't go anywhere because Richo actually hung around for another 10, 15 minutes. At the end of every episode, we record a bonus segment exclusive to our Footy IQ members. And today, Richo hung around and we talk about uh, Max King, one of the leading and most exciting young key forwards in the competition, obviously from St. Kilda. Now, what you're about to hear, uh, whether you're on Spotify, Apple, or, or YouTube, what you're about to hear is the audio from that segment. Um, but of course, there's a lot of uh, reference to the screen in the video. So if you're a Footy IQ member, jump over to your insights library on your dashboard and you'll be able to watch the full video there. If you're not a Footy IQ member yet, it's free to join. There's a seven day free trial on at the moment. Um, the link to join is in the show notes. So if you like what you hear from this ne- next bonus segment, I'd highly recommend jumping over to the Footy IQ uh, membership. You'll be able to watch the whole video plus loads more content like it, especially if you're a key forward. You do not want to miss this, uh, about 10 minutes of absolute gold from Maddie Richardson. So that's it guys, jump over to Footy IQ website. If not, here's the audio, let's get into it.
1: Welcome to the new bonus uh, podcast um, with, uh, with Matthew Richardson um, today and we've just finished recording the main episode on the one-on-one football podcast so to make sure you go back and listen to that one with talk, talk Richo's background, um, working his way through injuries and the ups and downs of being a superstar player and some key forward craft tips in there. In this bonus segment exclusively to our Footy IQ members we're going to pick Richo's brains about talking through two video clips on Sir Max King um, and get Richo's expert opinion on what goes into playing the position of a key forward like Max, Richo. Thanks for sticking around, mate, and we're looking forward to this um, bonus episode.
0: Pleasure, Rainsy. Looking forward to it.
1: So we've just got the uh, the clips. So we've got the first clip up here, mate. We're just going to talk about um, Max King's positioning, and I might get yeah. you to sort of point out some things, but I'll, I'll lead the yeah. first part as the ball sort of goes. So St Kilda win the footy here. It goes into the inside fifty. So we just pause. When it's in the air, so about there, yeah. just a tiny bit more, Harry. So if it's there, just notice the two players there, Harry, if you sort of point, pause that, two GWS players in front of him. I, I see a lot of forwards these days. And I know I used to think about two as a player when you're developing that sort of aerial, even a sort of a specky sort of mark or a contested mark, worrying about those two players in front of you. Talk us through what your sort of mindset there is when you got two in front of you Yeah, I, I guess,
0: yeah, the first thing I'd... I'd take out of this clip is you when Josh Battle wins that ball back there in the middle of the ground See, as a key forward you need to make sure that you are one kick away from the kicker right and I think Max has done that pretty well there he's he's realized Battle where battle is he's probably got his positioning pretty right there he's he's no more than 50 meters away so that'd be my first point you've got to know your teammates and you can't be too far away there's no point in being 20 meters back there and there's no point being too close to the kicker as well. I think a lot of the time forwards can make the mistake of getting into no man's land. Um, so Max, the first thing there is I think Max's positioning was really good. Now he's competing against three there, basically. Now he's, as I talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast, his mindset there has got to be that I can't be outmarked here. I'm outnumbered, but I can't be outmarked. And the other thing he's done really well here is he hasn't got too preoccupied with those two defenders. You can see his eyes. Mm. His eyes are only for the ball there. I think at times forwards can sometimes get worried about those defenders and look to make contact with them. His only, his only sort of focus there is the ball and launching at it. And that's the thing. He's 200 centimetres. He's got long arms. If he launches and takes that ball at its highest point, he's not going to get outmarked, is he? The only thing that can happen there is he's going to mark it. Or it's going to come to ground worst case scenario the other thing he did really well his direct opponent behind him there is he he did make contact with him initially you'll notice if you go back he made contact with him but then he that's released awesome. he didn't get tangled up yeah. so that's the other important thing here yeah he's got his direct opponent who wants to put some heat into his body max does make contact with him but then he releases he released mm. really well he knew where the ball and the drop zone was, and then he launched at it. And you know that is a great example. He he could not have, he could not have pl- um, played that situation any better. There, Max King was
1: it was perfect. That's why we want to sort of highlight. And I think um you know he's in really good form this year, and, and it's a, a player that we've we've been watching. And we thought obviously your your um opinion would be it would stand out here and a similar sort of top of player with um back to that sort of when you're looking at, are you looking you can see the players in your periphery a bit is it like you can yeah. still you still know where they are but you're sort of more
0: focused on the ball yeah he he knows they're there doesn't he but he he's made the 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 ball he's focused he knew that he'd got rid of his direct opponent behind him there and he would know that those two guys are there but he knew that he could launch, he knew he could get a run and jump, and I think he just backed himself in there. He knew that if he launched, he was probably the only person that could mark that ball. Worst case scenario, as I said, it's coming to ground, and I think that's Dan Butler on the bottom right there. He's in a good position too to, to crumb that ball. So if Max doesn't mark it, I reckon it's going to drop straight in front there, and then the crumbing players can come into it.
1: Absolutely. And the, and the last one, just on this clip, mate, just... we. In the northern states, a lot I see being involved in the sort of the pathway stuff originally and trying to get, um, you know, crossover sports, kids like basketballers playing footy yeah. or or, um, or athletes just crossing over and they jump off two feet. What's the importance of here jumping off um, the one leg?
0: Well, the, firstly, a bit of protection for yourself as well. You, you're going to jump higher off, off that one yeah. leg as well, so you're going to get... You're going to take the ball at its highest point. So it's important that you launch, jump off your jumping leg. And if you play basketball, you know that if you're going up for a layup, you're doing a similar thing there, aren't mm. you? You're going to lift your knee, but it's a bit of protection as well for yourself. You, you jump off both legs there. You, you leave yourself a little bit open to being injured if a defender coming back or someone coming into you into your there and your rib cage is open. So a little bit of protection there as well for yourself, 100%.
1: Awesome, and we'll go to the next uh, clip, Harry. So we've got two clips here. We'll go to the our last one. This is a bit of a different, um, different clip in terms of the, the of the um, of the mark, and just more so his, his work. He does sort of off the ball we'll get behind the vision uh, behind the goals vision here. We'll just play it out. Um, so it'll 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 come inside the 450. Just pause there, Harry. So you'll see Max and Rich. I'll get you to talk soon, but I'll just intro. Sort of you can see Max sort of pushing back. So one forward's going yeah. at the footy and then one forward's coming back. And we work a lot on this with junior kids talking about forward leading patterns. It is quite a craft. And I think it, it yeah. is actually the hardest position to sort of coach at times um, and, and, sorry, to play and then obviously coach. So just talk us through the importance of multiple leads and creating your own space and isolating your defenders here and, and talk through the clip for us.
0: Yeah, there's nothing worse than, than two forwards going for the same ball. So... Firstly, that's Ben Long, I think, that leads up. It's Bradley Hills kicking yep. it. So at this point here, if you pause it there, there's he, Long's in the better position for that hit-up lead, right? So so Max has identified, this isn't my ball here. Long is the man. He's going to hit up. So he knows he's got space behind himself here. So he's going to let Long hit up. So he's made the right decision there. And then he knows that he can then get in behind the defense, Um here so yep. he's got grass behind so he's really he's identified the space and yeah, that's what you need to be able to do as a forward you don't want to be going for the same ball so both of those players there have done really well good communication they've probably done this at training max also was probably never in the right position to win that yeah. walk he'll gets it he'll gets it on the wing longs in the right position so he's now thinking where's the next kick going he knows he's got space behind
1: so, just and pause there. So, and just on that, it was actually a really good point, Richard. So, in junior footy, we see a lot, mate, even in in, in pathway footy and, and elite sort of under 18, under 16s, maybe even sort of the next level up. I see a lot of kids or a lot of young forwards come at the footy too much. So, you either got them coming yeah. away or they're going too far back, but they, they push too much density up the field. So, then when yeah. the f- midfielder looks up, he's got nothing to kick to. So, yeah. is there something around that sort of they can work on, um, you know, sort of with their craft?
0: Yeah, that, that's right. There's no and that's knowing the kicker as well. And you, and you can't get too close and keep hitting up at the forward. So you've got to identify. And King knows there that he's not going to get the ball on the lead. He's no point hitting up there. He's not in the right position. Long is. There's no point both of you hitting up. So you need to make sure that, as I said in the previous clip, that you're a kick away. You should always yeah. be a kick away. And he's probably... A little bit in between here in that positioning, so he's now thinking about the next ball, and that is the one in behind, and um, he's made the right decision there.
1: And we'll just um, we'll f- keep going, Harry. We'll play this out, and just when he sort of goes to launch there, so pause there now. What's he think? What do you think he'd be thinking now?
0: Well, he, that that little leading pattern there. He's 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 looked. There's no point leading wide. He knows that. Longs wheeling around you got to know the kick. You've got to make it easier on the kicker as well. And if he had a kept leading into the pocket there, that's a hard kick for long. He's got to kick that around mm. his body. It's a low percentage kick for long. So he knows he's reading the eyes of the kicker as well. The kicker's probably not even kicking it to him here. He knows that he's just kicking it long to a, yep. to a dangerous spot. Um, so he's read the eyes of the kicker. He's not going to go to the pocket. Um, and he knows that's going to be a long high ball that's probably going to get him behind. And then the next probably part to this one is isolating sort of that
1: still one on one. So so if we pause there, there's obviously it's nothing's perfect in footy. That's that's sort of it's it's they're getting close to each other. Um, yeah. Obviously with the, if you you know I've got enough confidence to come over and spoil that from another defender. But
0: what's
1: what's a dangerous part of this sort of clip now look like for for St Kilda and Max?
0: Well, the, the, the part here is you can, you don't want both of those players launching for the ball, and King's probably the better marking player, and they, they know that. There's good communication there. Is it Membry, I think? Yeah, Membry. Behind yeah. him, yeah, Tim, Tim Membry he there. He just pulled out. He's made the right choice, decision there. He knows King is able to launch at this footy. There's no point in him going as well, so he's actually stayed down. He's made a really good call. Nathan Broad's his direct opponent. He's got to stay with him, and King was always in a good position to launch at that footy because the defender was playing him in front. So just, again, really good communication by both those key forwards. Membry knows King can launch, and he's just put a little block on Broad. Um, and the rest is history. Here, I think he kicks the goal. Plays yeah, on.
1: We'll play it through, Harry. No, that's excellent.
0: Um, yeah,
1: we'll just play, we'll play it through fast again. Just one more time. So we talk through sort of this last bit.
0: Yeah. So I really I like that. He, he he had he went to lead to the pocket. He knows that the kicker is not going to be able to do that. So he. He gets out of that lead. He he could have gone through with the lead and left Membry have, yeah. run out. You know, yeah. that, that was a decision he made there. If he keeps leading up, his direct opponent may have dropped off Robbie Tarrant and then made it a two-on-one on Membry. So it was an unrealistic lead and a good defender will know that you're not going to get that ball. So or Jeremy McGovern or a good interceptor Player, if he keeps leading to the pocket, there he's just going to the defender's not going to go with him, and it's going to leave a two-on-one with Membry. So he did make the right choice there, probably to back out of that lead. Oh, that's
1: excellent. Um, and Richard, how you how you seen his year, mate, and his progression, young King?
0: Yeah, really good. I mean, he's he's really playing to his strengths. He knows that he's you know he knows that he's got great height, two hundred centimetre key forward. So. He times his leads well. He knows when to lead up. He knows when to to stay back for that longer option, as we've seen in these two clips. And he's he's not getting tangled up with the defenders. He's making contact with them, but he's then releasing and playing to his strengths, which is launching at the ball. And um, when he does that, he's he's not going to get outmarked. He's going to at least mark it or bring it to ground. And um, and I think he's goal kicking. You know, I think mm-hmm. he feels more confident. I know he had a bad one last week against the Giants, but in general. He looks like he's straightened his uh, kicking out a bit, so he's got his mindset right there as well, Rainsy. Mate, that was incredible
1: insight, and um, we really appreciate your time today to be able to sort of um, you know give us 40, 40, 45 minutes of your time. Obviously, I you know you're a busy manager in the footy season, um, young family, and, um, and just obviously your expertise, and I think that'll go a long way to help. It's actually a question we get asked a lot um, through our membership and also through our our coaching um, is is a lot of that sort of forward leading patterns and and young yeah. forwards. And then A, how do they play it? And then B, how do you coach it? So some incredible insights there, mate. Again, appreciate your time today. Um, those who want to sort of watch a bit more of that uh, clip, you can head over to the Footy IQ membership um, to watch the full video. Over to you, Harry.
2: Yeah, as, as you mentioned, Ranzi, so we'll have, um, for those listening on Spotify or, or Apple, the, um, the full clip will be on the footy iq membership so um we've got the link in the show notes uh, if you want to have a look at that one and um yeah richard that's about all we've got time for mate thanks uh thanks for joining us i know um,
0: i learned a lot and hopefully all the listeners did too yeah no great to come on board love what you guys are doing and um you know it's a great platform for for young kids if you want to improve your game um one-on-one footy following you guys on uh, instagram and on the socials and you know if you want to improve your game i think it's a great way to do that
1: Thanks, mate. Might we'll have to get him as a guest guest session on some time down there, Harry. Might we'll have to yeah. get down and uh, get him on board. So um, you, you no.
0: can't a, you can't afford me. No, exactly. Well, <laughs> I like <laughs> that one. on You, it's one coming. Oh, that's no, great. No, I'm joking. I'd love no, to love good. to help out anyone for so, sure. Thanks, mate. Appreciate your thanks, time mate. and uh, enjoy the Pleasure. weekend. Thanks, guys.
2: Thanks for listening to the One on One Football Podcast. If you got something out of today's episode, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to stay updated on special guests, new episodes and more, please subscribe to the show on your chosen platform. And finally, if you have any questions for Rainz or myself, or you want to get a particular guest on the show, please reach out. Our email address is podcast at oneon1football.com.au. Thanks guys, we'll see you for the next episode.